This episode of the School of Last podcast is brought to you by Patreon supporter Kevin Hardy. If you'd like to support the podcast through a small monthly donation, please check out schooloflaughs.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N for more information. It's just one small charge to your credit card each month, and that keeps the podcast alive for another month. Hey, I appreciate you guys supporting the podcast. Let's get to it. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by schooloflaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us again today. My name is Rick Roberts, and occasionally I get to have an extra fun podcast like today where I get to call up one of my old buddies who I haven't seen in a while and uh, pick his brain, see what he's up to, and share him with you. And this week I'm talking to Greg Warren. Greg is a very, very, very funny guy who I met, uh, I can't even tell you how many years ago, 15 plus years ago in uh, Cincinnati at the time. He was working at Procter & Gamble when he first started comedy. He was doing some open mics, some emceeing at the time, and has since gone on to appear on Late Night with Seth Meyers, The Late Late Show, Comedy Central Presents. He's been uh, on a couple different CDs he's put out, running out of time, and One Star Wonder got his new CD out now that's exclusive to Sirius XM uh, Laugh USA. It's a 100% clean comedy CD, and they're promoting it all the month of November. So if you're a Sirius XM listener, I thought this would be timely for you. You'll probably be uh, listening to Greg a lot on Sirius XM as you travel around, and now you'll know a little bit more about him. Greg's a very funny guy. We talk about a lot of different things from him selling Pringles uh, to different groups when he was working for Procter & Gamble. We talk about some uh, common comedy buddies that we had throughout the years and some advice they gave to him. And we'll talk about how he approaches putting together a set for a late-night talk show, something you might be interested in for sure, and how he goes about doing it. Some of it's a little counterintuitive to the way you do a normal comedy show, and uh, it's pretty interesting to hear his take on that. We talk about his mockumentary that he put out this past uh, couple of months ago here on uh, wrestling, and it's called Stall Camp. I'll link to that. All kinds of great stuff in this interview with Greg, one of my best buddies in comedy back in the day, and still a good buddy and glad we could catch up. Uh, real quickly, if you want to take a drive to Philadelphia anytime soon and catch me doing comedy, this is a good time to do it. Uh, on the 12th and 13th, I'll be in the Philadelphia area, and I'd love to see you come out and uh, talk to you after the show. On the 12th, I'll be in Brookhaven, Pennsylvania at Faith Community Church along with Al Smith, Dan Culp, and Gordon Douglas. And that show, uh, you can find out more about tickets by going to, uh, I guess you pick up the phone, 610-872-2229. You can call that number or email gordoncomedy at comcast.net and ask him about tickets. On the 13th, I will be at New Life Glenside Church. That's in Glenside, Pennsylvania, 7 o'clock showtime there. That is a free show. If you don't want to cough up some money to help out a cause like we're doing on Saturday the 12th, as we're doing for Pregnancy Center on that night, Sunday, we're just doing comedy. And it's me and a bunch of my Christian Comedy Association buddies, including uh, Rhonda Corey, Jeanette Cronk, we've got Al Smith, Dan Culp, Cornbread the Comic, Ross Bennett, who you've seen on Letterman, amongst many other shows, Sandy Joy, and again, Gordon Douglas on that night as well. Two nights, different places, right there in the Philadelphia area. I'd love to catch you. Uh, Think about that. All right, it's coming up. Love to see you. Right now, though, let's get to my interview with my good buddy, Greg Warren. 
Well, I'm here with Greg Warren. How's it going? Hey, Rick. Good to talk to you, man. A long time since I saw you last. So I thought it was time yeah, to check nice. in. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think even, I think the last time I saw you, you were coming through Nashville and you did a guest set during one of my uh, school last graduation shows. Is that it? Yeah, that was it, man. Yeah. And you kind of, I brought you on stage uh, under a fake alias so you could try out yeah, a couple of jokes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think I borrowed your glasses or something. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You borrowed my glasses. And I think you, I don't know how long you've been doing it, but you were working on that joke about how, um, Muslim women or Middle Eastern women don't look guys in the eyes or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then yeah. that that ended up being on uh, Last Comic Standing, didn't it? Yeah, that and a couple TV shows actually, man. That that, uh, that joke served me well. That was one of those jokes where it's like, I think I did it on Twitter at for you know sometimes like this shorter stuff. I'll just try it on Twitter, and uh, it was like didn't get much of a response at all. And I was talking to my friend. I'm like, this is funny. I I know this is funny, you know, and. Uh, it got cut from one TV set. They said it was too sensitive or whatever, which I don't agree with. And then they let me do it on a couple others. So, yeah, man, it's, it's got to be frustrating when you got a joke that you know is not, and they're afraid that it might be. Yeah, I know it's not. It's offensive, it, you know. And, and in fact, they're the ones that are being offensive because it's like you should be able to say the word Muslim if you're not saying something derogatory about Muslims. But by saying, "Oh, we don't even want to say the word," then you're sort of like prejudiced against them you know yeah yeah it's not like it's 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 100 percent on board and they're just and, and if they listen to the joke you're making fun of yourself only yeah totally yeah yeah that's usually most of my jokes anyways yeah, i'm usually the victim yeah which it tends to work out good you know you can put yourself in a million different spots and you do that really well and uh you know audiences have no reason not to laugh if you're only making fun of yourself then then the whole game's open after that yeah yeah i mean yeah i kind of try to move it around but yeah I, I guess just pure comedy taste like i don't know if i really want to hear anybody um that doesn't have some hint of self-deprecation you know i don't know if i want to hear anybody talk if they don't have some sense of humor about themselves or or put themselves down a little bit or realize something about themselves uh that you know not flattering i don't know like i get i, I get change a little bit well i'm like that too like as soon as the comic hits the stage i'm I'm trying to figure out what they're going to say about themselves. You know, if I can see something physical or obvious, or and, and then as soon as they hit me with something I wasn't expecting, that's ten times better. Yeah. And then after that, they've got me. Like I'm with you, buddy. You know, I've got problems too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I got to go back. The first time I bumped into you, I think uh, I'm not sure if I was working at Dayton Jokers or if I was at Go Bananas, but I think that was the first time we bumped into each other and it's one of those i think it was go bananas because on saturday or sunday afternoon uh, everybody kind of hung out at the club all the comedians in town and open micers and just did some writing and workshopping some jokes you remember those days i do definitely yeah absolutely we're going back quite a ways buddy well that was before you were full-time you know i i'll all the time i have people ask me like you know when when should you go full-time if you've got a good job and i always think back to you and a couple other guys especially from that area you know, worked at PP and Procter and Gamble, right? Yeah, and yeah, you, you was had there a, for ten years. Yeah, and you had that good job, and you had that you know security, but you were pretty specific about how you were going to go about it. You were going to make sure you had some money in the bank, a car that was paid off, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, you know, I I, I mean, a few things. I, I also wanted to get good. You know, I, I I think I was a little bit of a slow starter. You know. Um, but I, I just wanted to get where I felt like I was pretty good. 
And then, you know, I was trying to find a way for them to transfer me to New York or LA. And, uh, that just didn't happen. And I, at one point I was just like, you know what? I'm getting a little bit older here. If I'm going to do this, I just need to do it. So I cut the strings, but you know, I did, I had some money in the bank and I had a car and I had all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I, I probably, I don't know how I would, you know, I, I maybe would have done it differently, but, um, I definitely had more perspective by the time I, I, I quit my day job. I had more to write about. And I think too, that you're pretty much, uh, you know, got your foot in the door featuring everywhere. So you didn't have to hit the road as an MC. I'm sure you did some here and there just to pick up some weeks. Uh, Yeah. By the time I left, man, when I started, I had about 45 weeks that year on the road as a feature act. So it was like, it was a fun year. It was a really fun year. Yeah, nothing like those feature days where you can kind of no no real pressure and all the fun. Yeah, all the fun, you know, no pressure. Um, and I was coming off of like a you know a day job for ten years, so and you were you were working in Cincinnati, but you weren't from there. You're from Missouri, is that right? Yeah, St. Louis. Yeah, yeah. I um, yeah, I I, I got a job with Procter and Gamble out of college. Uh, um, it's funny, you know how like you have this whole life, you know, everybody, everybody has like a block of experiences. I had that whole experience of like working for Procter and Gamble for 10 years. And it's one of the, my act tends to be very biographical and it's one of the few like big portions of my life that I just have not written about. And the last six months I've been really trying to mine that experience for, for jokes. It's a, it's fairly laborious, but it's, I'm starting to, (laughs) starting to find something. Like going back to being in the, in the office kind of stuff. Yeah, just in being in sales, you know, just really sort of trying to, you know, I, I'm trying to just write a lot of stuff about being in sales um, and just that time of your life. It was, you know, like it, it just, I go back to the beginning, like I, I was, I wrestled when I was in college and that's kind of like what I focused on for most of my college. I mean, I got okay grades, but it was because like I didn't want to get yelled at by my dad or whatever. Um, so I get, I get done with college. I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. And I had like, I had to move in with my parents and I didn't have a job and I had to take a job as a bus boy at Denny's. And uh, <laughs> it was like a really kind of rough beginning, you know, cause I got, you know, that thing when you're, when you're working like that bus boy at Denny's job, you're like, man, um, I know this is temporary. Uh, but there's that little thing in the back of your mind that's like, maybe this isn't temporary. Maybe this just is just what I do. Like I work at Denny's and I live in my parents' basement. Like maybe this is, this is where it's heading. So yeah, I, I wound up getting an interview. Um, a buddy of mine worked at P and G uh, and, I, I had to go through a bunch of tests and interviews and stuff and I got offered a job there and it was like, uh, yeah, I know. So like I was really proud to have the job, you know, uh-huh. cause it was a good job. It pay, you know, you got, I got a company car, I got good money, but nobody ever understands your sales job. Like I, you know, I remember the day I got the job, I went to some bar and I'm talking to some girl and like, she's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I got a really good job. She's like, what? I'm like, I'm, I'm selling Pringles. She's like, like door to door. Yeah. Door to door. Knock on people's doors. That's awesome, man. And, uh, yeah, to have a company car in your twenties and a steady job, all the Pringles you can eat, all the Pringles, all the Duncan Hines. That was like, I think how I finally got good was the Duncan Hines part of it because we would have like new items and I would just bake all these cakes and bring them to the buyer 
and just give them to all the secretaries. Um, and then they would be like, these are great. You may, they couldn't believe cause I was a, a boy, you know, like, you made these by yourself. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then like, Richard, you should put these in. He made these, you know? And, uh, you know, like I baked all the time. I, 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 I literally got into baking like as a 22 year old <laughs> college. I was the only like 22 year old single male who had a really nice set of muffin tins. <laughs> I, I, I'm like my, I lived with these guys that I knew from college, you know, down in Houston, Texas is where my first sales territory and, and we're all, we all lived in, there was like a college guy's apartment and you know, Hey Warren, you want to go out? I'm like, no, Toby, I've got muffins in the oven. I can't go out. Okay? <laughs> Can you not I'm jump a, around? You're going to make them drop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever Betty Crocker. It's not Betty Crocker. It's Duncan Hines. Toby. <laughs> Betty Crocker's my competitor. <laughs> That's too funny, man. Gosh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, I'm starting, to find, I'm starting to find it. You know, it's it's like that. It's weird, though, because a lot of it is, it's a trick, man. You got to take these events or these parts of your life that are so close to you, and they're, the, they're the, always the hardest things to write about. Like, for me, wrestling was the hardest thing for me to write about. It just took me forever to try to, like, you know, get it. And, and you think, well, oh, that just, since it's so hard to write about, maybe it's just not the thing that I should be writing about. And that it's counterintuitive. It's actually, that does mean you should write about it, but it's going to take a little bit more work. And once you do get to it, it's going to be the best material you have. That's actually kind of what I needed to hear. Because I've got, you know, I grew up tobacco farms and horse farms, and I do a lot of like ag events, and I don't have really any stories from those days that I'd tell because I just figure it was just work, so why bring up work? But I'd need to be digging into that stuff. Man, I remember you telling me stories that were great. Didn't you guys wreck Kentucky basketball coach car or something like that? Yeah, when I worked on the third bread farm for Dan Issel, who played for the Nuggets and played for the Kentucky Wildcats, he had a basketball hoop in his backyard that his daughter, who was like six foot something, would shoot hoops on. And one Friday, we're... You know, we go around to each of the houses and the, the barns on the property and get the big garbage cans rolled up in the truck. And Dwayne, the guy I worked with, we'd always play jokes on each other. And he had taken some bungee cords. When I got out to get the trash can, and he bungee corded, he turned the steering wheel as far as we go and then locked it in with this bungee cord because he knew I would get in there and just hit the reverse. And as soon as I did, I plowed right into the basketball goal and knocked it back about, <laughs> it was like at a 45 degree angle. And he's like, yeah. we got to get out of here. And then we. <laughs> We came back to work Monday, and everybody's really quiet, and they're just looking at me and Dwayne, and uh, I don't know which one of us broke the ice. We're like, what's up? And they're like, well, we had to let go of the night watchman. He'd been drinking and bumped into Dan Eccles' <laughs> basketball goal. <laughs> That's great. You punks got some poor guy fired. Uh, uh, more, more than one, I think. <laughs> Oh man, that's <laughs> yeah. I think that's the thing, man. You got to and the the. I think you start on the outer edges of it because you like for me with like wrestling, like it's like well, what it's such a it's such a part of you. It's hard to step out of it and look at what's funny about it. Mm -hmm. Um, or sales, you know, ten years of Procter and Gamble, like there's nothing funny about. It. So you it's sort of like trying to find like the center or the heart of the meaning of what's funny of it. Start on the periphery and just be like, what's funny about the little, find the littlest tangent that's funny and work your way back into the premise, I think. Right. And I would think for you with the uh, Procter & Gamble stuff, you know, to, now that I'm an older guy, like, 
you know, 40, whatever, you know, to see a 20-year-old salesman trying to sell anything to somebody that's older than them, that's just an uphill battle in the first oh, place. So, you, man, you, you hit it, the nail on the head with that. I mean, I'm like stuttering around. I remember the one of these guys must they, – they gave me like the bad accounts. You know, that, that's like a time-honored tradition in sales. Yeah. Like when, they never – like, you know, like they never give the new guy the good accounts. They always give you the bad accounts. And they try to pretend like it's a, oh, this is a really great account, Greg. You're going to, you're going to real, real, then why are you giddy right now? I can tell you, <laughs> you're so happy to get rid of this account. I got like the, the grocery stores down in Texas, like that were in the bad neighborhoods that were like the, um, all the ones that were spelled incorrectly, like sack and save S A K hyphen N hyphen S A V ne- neither sack nor save nor and was spells correctly. Uh, and, um, man, I remember going in, there's this one guy, George Meyer, he was my buyer and I was so young. I was like three weeks on the job and he did not like our company, like Procter and Gamble at all. Like he just didn't like us. I mean, and I, I'm going in there and I'm like, uh, Hey, I'm with Procter and Gamble. He's like, I have Procter and Gamble. You guys are in bed with Walmart. I'm like, I don't know Walmart. I don't know. I've just started. I I know Denny's and I, you know, <laughs> I was, I was, I don't think I was in bed with them. Um, so, but I had, I had noticed like some, we had like these funds that you use to promote your products. You know, it's a lot of money and you, you kind of give them to the, you give them to the retailer to do different things with your products. And I, I had gotten the books and I'm like a 22 year old kid and I'm, I'm looking through the books and I'm like, the guy before me, he messed he's, he messed the money up. Like he's giving this guy way too much money. He's already spent half of this year's fund and it's like January 20th. Wow. So like he, and so I had to go in there as this 22 year old kid and this like kind of mob looking guy, George at sack and save and be like, Hey George, we can't give you this deal anymore. You know? And I'm sure I sounded like, ah, we, I've been looking at the numbers. I just got, <laughs> I'm, I just seemed like some punk to him and I took his money away. He was already looking for his next deal from Pumpkin Hines instead yeah. of Duncan Hines. He's like, that'll fit better with my misspelled uh, yeah, store. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, you've done a good job of, of digging into a lot of your experiences. The, you know, I think the people that know you right off the bat probably know you from the like the flute man bit. Do you, would you say that was the bit that kind of got you going a little bit faster? Yeah. And it seemed like from, you know, maybe you had a bunch of stories and characters before that, but it seemed like from that point on, it kind of, every time I saw you, you just had this, another great bit where you're, you know, you're pulling your coach into the bit and he's got this whistle thing going on, or you, you're talking about uh, the, the, the bit I heard recently with the husband and wife real estate team, like you're going into different characters and putting, putting the comedy in different places besides just you talking about a current event. And I, I love the stories you tell. Can you tell me a little bit about, you know, the process of digging in and, and finding the angles to get those things out? I tried a lot of different things early on. And I think I was like, there's a guy named Ron Morey. Do you remember Ron? One of my favorite guys ever. Yeah. He's just one of the best comics I've ever seen. He's just, and one of the best human beings. But I remember I was, I was living in Houston and I was struggling you know, just like every open micer, I was maybe hosting a little bit and I was okay. But, and then I would be out in the lobby hanging out at the bar at the Houston laugh stop with Ron. And we'd be like, just doing characters and goofing around. And he's like, why aren't you doing this? Like, this is how you make, 
you know, this is how you make your friends laugh. That's you should probably do some version of that. In fact, I still remember it. It was remember that guy Freddie DeMarco. Oh yeah, yeah. So Fred's a good friend of mine. He's this comedy club owner in uh, in Columbia, and I was doing an impression of Freddie. We would just do that for hours about different stuff. And Ron's like, you got to do more of that kind of stuff. So yeah, characters kind of was was a way for me in. But I I don't know. I I don't. I try to write them fairly tightly. Like, you know, like it's, I, I usually, I just found this where it's like a dialogue between me and the character, usually I'm the victim. And, but it's not like I go into a character and stay in it for, you know, 10 minutes or 20 minutes, like Martin Short or something. It's a pretty, it's like a, like a dialogue between me and the character. Yeah. And Ron was great at those characters too. I, I remember he used to put on overalls and a hat. Did you ever work with him when he, he emceed his own show? Yeah, that was Ed Peachman was that guy. Yeah, coveralls, yeah. Ed yeah. Peachman. Yeah, I worked with him in Wichita one week. And uh, I was like looking around for the MC, and he's like, oh, I'll be taking care of that. I'm like, all right. So the headliner was asking me for my middle introduction. I couldn't figure it out. And then all of a sudden, he shows up in his, his coveralls. Yeah, I was out there, fell asleep last night underneath the car, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people would didn't realize that they were the same guy. No, a lot of times they didn't. I think in that week in Wichita, maybe two people came up after the show and was like, was that you up front? And, yeah. But I thought, what a great idea. And then maybe he was even getting two checks. I don't even know how he, <laughs> he may have been getting the MC check. <laughs> Could be. Man, that's, that is too good. The um, Well, you've done a lot of, of TV, which is always cool to catch you on the different shows. The last comic standing, you made it fairly far in that last episode. You want to... Tell me a little bit about that process. and You know, I, I've kind of learned how to do a late night TV set, and it's not – it's a little counterintuitive. Like you can't do a lot of characters. If you, if you do, they have to be really, really tight. Um, it, it took me a long time to sort of retrofit my style into what works on a late night TV set. So how do you go about it? Like what's your – if I said you got six minutes tomorrow or five minutes, what do you start – how do the wheels start turning? If you, if you, if they said okay, you got to get a tape to uh, Fallon tomorrow night or something. Uh-huh. I you know what I would I usually have I would go through like I'm pretty uh, ridiculous. I have some of the old business uh, stuff shows up in my process. But I usually like put it on a spreadsheet. So I like just look on my spread. I got every one of my jokes on a spreadsheet, and I and I kind of would say okay, how much? Actually, I go through like a recent headline set, and I just would listen to it, and I'd go through and write down here's the bit on a spreadsheet and here's how long the bit is and then i sort of just go by process of elimination being like okay let's get rid of everything that's too long let's get everything that doesn't really you know fit the tenor of the show and then you know you get it let's get rid of everything that i've ever done on tv before and then you get to like where i'm at right now where i'm kind of looking at maybe what my next tv set and it's about 12 minutes and i'm like okay um like what are what would be a good opening joke? And, um, maybe I could pull a portion of this joke. Do they fit together? They don't always have to fit together. Like you don't always have to have everything about the same topic, but if I, you know, if you don't, can you kind of squeeze it in there? And I'm, I'm kind of in the process right now, like looking at like, ah, eh, it's been a while since I've done a late night set. I got about 12 minutes and I'm like, ah, I don't know, man. Um, uh, I, I gotta, I know what my first two jokes would be. On the tape, uh, I I kind of know two other jokes uh, that loosely fit in there, 
And then there's this ending joke that's a little bit longer and a little bit less traditional for a late night set um, that I'm like, I, I, you know what, I'm to the point where I'm like, what, so I don't get it. I'm going to send it just because I like the joke. It's like, um, it's, it's kind of almost like a flute manish type thing where it's, you know, it's, I, when I lived in New York, I was on the train one day and there was this, uh, this guy or this lady just gets on the train and she starts singing, just, just singing. Just all I want for Christmas is a fish sandwich. All I want for Christmas is a fish sandwich. All I want. And I'm like, Oh God, you know, like, you can't be doing that in public guess what song has been stuck in my head for the last six months you know like i can't get that that woman should not be homeless she's a hit maker she (laughs) she may be one of the greatest lyricists of our time like i've heard 11 taylor swift songs i don't know the words i know all the words to fish sandwich (laughs) and and, you know like guess what nobody's wondering what to get her for christmas you know that one woman that rides a train i was gonna get dude she wants a fish sandwich (laughs) listen to the lyrics you're getting caught up in the beat so it's like it's one of those things where now like people leave the show and they you know they're like they remember it so that does not necessarily fit a late night set but i kind of want to force it in i want to see if i can make it work yeah Um, i like i like it well you know perfect for any of the big cities where people are taking the, the subway or the train or anything like that. They've seen those people. And if you haven't, you know, those kinds of people, everybody gets it. It's just, um, you know, the, the rhythm is different on a late night set, man. It's very different. Cause it's like, there's not a lot of room for sort of, uh, tags. I've noticed that. And I was going to ask you about that. It seems like they, they, they're big on the premise in the, in the punchline and then move on. Yeah. Because the audience tends to clap a lot on those shows. So like once they start clapping, you're kind of done with that joke, whether you think you are or you're not. Um, so on something like the fish sandwich, it's like, you know, there's no real way to show them, okay, here's where the joke ends right here. Um, so, but I, I, so it, you're breaking the rules of late night TV, but every now and then I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to break it. Right. Um, you know, I'm not going to let them completely dictate to me how my act goes, you know? So, uh, the last time I did it, it was probably the best time I did it. It was on Seth Meyers. And I like I did have a lot of those jokes that sort of were simple and landed pretty quickly. Um, so, yeah, I, I, my style is I've never been a guy that, you know, I have a few, but I've never been a guy that just churns out one liners or, you know, 10, 15 second jokes. Uh, it's not my style, but I've tried to figure out a way. To, how can I sort of retrofit what I what I do into that style? Yeah, it's always a little challenging, but you you seem to make it work pretty well. And it seems Man, when was it? Within the past year, I saw you on one of the shows, and Billy Gardell was guest host. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was fun, man. That was really fun. Yeah, and you guys were talking about he was just reading the parts from Mike and Molly. Were you guys working together or something in the condo that week, or you were helping him with the script? I he was I was living in St. Louis, and Billy was in town um, doing uh, you know the Funny Bone, and he was. T- I went out to watch him, and he was telling me like, "Yeah, I got a pretty." big uh audition when i get back and uh i was like yeah you know i was was like tell me about it it's a chuck laurie show and i'm like wow and he goes yeah it's like monday and i was like i go billy you know i i'm i'm no uh seasoned actor but i took a lot of classes you know in la and i I can act a little you want me to read with you and he's like yeah man so like i went over to his uh, hotel room and we read the sides for mike and molly pilot and uh 
you, you know, obviously things worked out. Things worked know? out really good. And I, and I was curious, did, uh, when he got the chance to guest host, did he request you to be on the show or was it just pure luck that you guys were together? Uh, he requested that I did not do the show. <laughs> uh, no, no, he, no, he definitely requested me. It was really nice of him, man. It was really cool. Uh, incidentally, you know, um, I was never once asked to read for that Molly part. And I'm a little offended by that because some of the work that I did with Billy that day, you know, I mean, I could have at least been given a shot. <laughs> yeah. She's <laughs> great. Melissa McCarthy's great and all, but I mean, I, I was doing a pretty nice job. Yeah. No, I think you guys uh, should do at least a buddy movie together. You and Billy. Yeah. No, yeah, that that was really cool. When I did the the thing with Billy, um, it, it's fun because you know usually like you're trying to get on the show, and but this time like they kind of asked me, so you, it's it's even it's more fun. And it was really loose. Uh, I had just done Seth Meyers, like, or, or I I was I was done Seth Meyers, like, you know, a month before. So I was I was kind of like loose. Usually it's it's a year or two in between any late night appearance. So I was like, just done it. And I was like, oh, and that went well. So I'm like, I was kind of playing with the house money. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to take some chances on this show. And then they were, it was in, it was when they were in between Ferguson and Corden. So they didn't really care that much. And I was like, ah, I go, I, this, this, they go, just do however long you want to do. Basically there, I was like, you know, I couldn't have done 10 minutes, but they're like, you know, if it's four and a half, fine. If it's five and a half, that's fine too. Who cares? All right. Um, that's cool, man. I did do on that one. I did a bit that was. I did this assistant coach bit that, you know, was more of a like minute and 30 long, uh, character piece that I would not normally do. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is a great bit. In fact, uh, makes me think about those videos you had put out over the years and, uh, the assistant coach who's trying to do everything by the book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That guy. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, is, yeah. Yeah. That is Gosh, a- we need to get those permission slips on for the banquet. Uh, <laughs> That's some great stuff. Have you have you put out any videos recently? I know they're pretty intense to put together, and they take some yeah, time and money. I d- yeah, I've I am probably one of the foremost authorities on wasting money on internet videos. That don't <laughs> uh, that's probably I'll be remembered the most in this business. Um, but no, I, I did a uh, I did this year. I did a short film, like a, a fifteen minute mockumentary uh, about wrestling, and it, it's very it's targeted towards, you know, kids that wrestle or wrestling fans, um, amateur wrestling, not professional wrestling. Uh, but, uh, there's this website called flow wrestling. That's like, it's like their ESPN. So a lot of people, it gets a lot of traffic and I did it for them. And, um, it was great, man. It's one of the funnest things I've ever done. I love doing that stuff. So it's called stall camp and it's, uh, it, it was, uh, I try, I'd like to, you know, I like to sort you know, I think the business, the work and the job is you got to do stand up comedy. You got to write jokes, you got to perform jokes. Um, but I, I like to have two or three little side projects every year where you're trying to do something, something different, you know? Yeah, kind of work some different muscles and get, get those yeah. talents worked up a little bit. And, and you're collaborating. I, I mean, I really, you know, it's such a solitary business sometimes with stand up, but I really enjoy collaborating with other people. That's cool. Are there, uh, any guys you, you hit, bump into on the road that you, you throw some ideas out and write with, or are you pretty solitary when it comes to cranking out your own material? Man, it's a lot less than it used to be, I think, because now I sort of know what, um, you know, what I, what is funny for me. Uh, but I think like, uh, 
Mark Gross, I talked to pretty much every time I have a new joke, I call Mark Gross. He's really good. You know Mark. Oh, uh, Mark's great, and he's done very well. Yeah, he's a writer. Um, most Right now he's writing on that uh, new Matt LeBlanc show, which he wrote on Mike and Molly, and he wrote on uh, Rodney Carrington's show, and uh, Gary Unmarried, and uh, great comic, man, and, a, and one of my best friends. So I, I probably always I, – I, probably every bit that I've ever done, you know – on a CD is at some point I've run it by Mark gross, <laughs> you know, sometimes just cause I'm like, Hey man, I, you gotta hear this. I think this is pretty funny. But yeah. And he's, he's really good. There's, there's, there's a few other people. Um, but not, not as much as in, in the old days, you know? Yeah. I think in the old days you're kind of throwing it out for validation and then now you kind of know it's, it's in your wheelhouse, but you might want to share it once you got it, got it down. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's something like my brother's one of the funniest guys I know, but my, I never tell him anything cause he's not, he doesn't laugh, man. And so, and you know, as much as you think that you, you know, you know what you're doing, it's like, you don't want to lose confidence in a bit. So be careful who you share it with. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Sometimes you run it by that guy and if they don't laugh, you're like, perfect. It's a killer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think you told me that like that, uh, some young comics listen to this podcast. Yeah. So, I mean, this is something that I had a manager tell me, uh, years and years ago and it really sort of changed everything is you, and it seems so simple, but really really trust your instincts when it comes to a premise like really you gotta get to this point where like if you think that it's funny it's funny end of story it's funny now it may not be getting laughs and that just means you're not letting them see what's in your head you know first you got to get it straight in your head and get the you know sort of crystallize the idea and then you have to explain it so you may not have crystallized the idea yet and you may not have explained it correctly, but that does not mean that it's not a good idea and it's not funny. And once I sort of got there, that changed a lot. I'm like, no, no, this is because you thought of this thing. It's valid, you know? Right. Yeah. It's, I just think it's really important because you're like, ah, man, I, I thought this thing was funny and nobody's laughing. Yeah, it is funny. You're just not telling it right. And you may not be able to tell it right for eight years. Uh, and you may, and you may get it right next week, but it's funny. Trust me. It's funny. Yeah, that's it. true, man. It's, it's the most frustrating some, thing sometimes when you get the, uh, the really great idea and no ability on stage to tell it. And then you, you write those things down so you don't lose them. And as you get better, you can come back, pick them up and they're ready to go. Those things are gold too, man. I mean, I, there's a few times in my life when I've been at a, just a, man, I have no more material. I have nothing funny. I'm generating nothing. Let's go back and see if there's anything I can pick up, you know? And a lot of times it's like, oh, I'm a way better comedian now. I can tell that idea. And I, I, that's, that's not a bad idea at all. Yeah, it just takes a little time to get skilled at the, the other half of things. Yeah. That's cool, man. So what's on your uh, horizon? Anything you're working on or excited about these days? I recorded a, like um, exclusive CD for SiriusXM for their uh, clean channel, uh, uh, Laugh USA channel which I know you get played on a ton. And um, uh, I recorded that for them, and they're featuring it all month long. Uh, yeah. It's, it starts today, actually. So. Oh, cool, man. Yeah, yeah. I'll yeah, have to tune in a little bit more. Keep it, on, keep it on the background and wait for your name to pop up. Yeah, yeah. So we're doing that. And then uh, I, I don't know. What else. I, I'd eventually, I'd like to have something, uh, some block of material about this Procter & Gamble stuff, which – I'm starting to find the seams, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, I'd like to 
like to do, you know, maybe, maybe even do like a one man show about that, or maybe it's like a corporate show, or maybe it's just an, you know, a big part of the, uh, part of the stand up act. I don't know. Well, it could definitely be a, a corporate, you know, program, I guess is what we call them in the, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I sort of started writing it for. Um, because I would do, you know, I would do a corporate show just, I don't really solicit a lot of corporate work, but you know, they, sometimes they'll find me or I'll be at the club and be like, Hey, can you do this thing tomorrow? So I would be doing my regular act and, I'd be, and they'd, and I'll be like, what do you guys do? They're like we're in sales. And I'd be like, Oh, I was in sales. And I would tell like my five sales jokes and they would kill better, better than all the rest of my act because they're salespeople, you know? So I'm trying to come up with this like funny side of sales, um, like corporate thing. And I, I mean, I'm getting close. I'm getting, I'm getting a lot closer. Uh, well, if you ever need some help with that, that's, kind of my wheelhouse is putting those speeches together. I can at least uh, uh, throw some ideas against the wall. You just signed yourself up for some, some uh, consultant work. Let's I'm do sorry. it. Well, man, I couldn't be happier that you had some time today to, to hang out and catch up. And I really look forward to the next time I can catch your act live here in Nashville. So make sure you let me know and I'll let everybody else know. Oh, you bet, buddy. You bet, man. Yeah, it's uh, uh, you were one of the guys that sort of, uh, you know, encouraged me to stay in this thing. You know, you were – I just kind of got in and you were a few years ahead of me. And, uh, I remember I didn't know what I was doing. You know, <laughs> I, was, I, I had a lot of fun, uh, working with you over the years, man. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, I, I think it was Dayton, Ohio. We did a new year's Eve weekend there or something. That was a blast and many, many other times and places, but you always had new material, always had great stuff. So it's, it's cool to see you keep doing it. I seriously, it's funny that you said you didn't have anything funny about those, those horse days. Cause I remember like some great stories about that. Man. Yeah, I guess, I guess there's enough uh, time and distance. They can't sue me for anything now. So I should start getting into that. I'm going to knock over somebody else's basketball goal. <laughs> yeah. What about the poor night watchman, man? I wonder what he's doing, man. <laughs> yeah. That's where, yeah. That's where I should take it is, uh, figure out what uh, the lives that I destroyed. What are those people doing now? <laughs> Cool, buddy. Well, thank you again. I appreciate it. Uh, good, good talking to you, Rick. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening in as me and Greg kind of caught up. He's done a lot. He's a good guy, as you can tell just by the, the stories he shares and the insight. And uh, again, he's going to be promoted all month long on Sirius XM with his new CD called Fish Sandwich. You want to be paying attention when you hear Greg, and that's uh, the same guy you just listened to. Very funny dude. And I'm excited. He's actually going to be coming to Nashville pretty soon. We're going to work on his uh, corporate program and all about sales and that's gonna be fun and extra good time to check up and catch up with each other so very cool uh thanks again for listening for supporting the podcast for spreading the word if you can do any of that it always helps out let other comics know about it uh, i think every episode there's a few tidbits that uh, i pick up and if i'm picking them up after 25 years i'm sure a lot of the newer comics out there can pick up a few tips now that will shave a few years if not months or days or perhaps even minutes off of their comedy development and that's what it's all about here getting bigger better and more bookable that's going to do it for this week thanks again for listening guys out there travel safe and stay funny thanks for listening to the school of laughs podcast if you'd like to hear more School of Last podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit SchoolofLaughs.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay money.